This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're still on the series of grace, so I encourage you, if you had not been here the last few weeks, you can sure get the CD or go to the podcast. They're on there. But this morning, once you get a Bible, go with me to 1 Peter 5. It's where we'll begin, and as we're going there, just a couple things I want to ask you to pray about. One of the ladies in our church, uh, Denise Emmons, she's usually in the first service. She had open-heart surgery on Tuesday, and she is doing really, really well, really good. So I encourage you and say thank you for praying, but continue to pray. And then, uh, this is tragic. Uh, Some of you may not know that the young lady who was shot and killed the other evening, uh, Jennifer Cruz, attended church here, and we encourage you to pray for the children and the family, but also the difficult part of this is that the shooter himself came to church here, and my heart goes out. You know, I, I truly believe it's one of those situations that he reacted in a way that he shouldn't have, but even though he committed the act of murder, I, I don't believe he was a murderer. He just get he got caught up in some things, and so as difficult as it may sound, I encourage you to pray for him because his life will be ever changed too. And those children, so just keep these guys in prayer this week. Not easy. I can tell you this: God loves every one of us, and He'll help us. All right, go with me to First Peter five once again. God never intended any one of us to go through this life. Through our own abilities. My flesh may be weak. And so he's going to grace you. To help you in every venue of your life. But I must respond to him. I must gravitate toward Father God. So we start in 1 Peter 5. Verse 5. And I'm in 1 John. So I better back up. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. Likewise you younger people submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Now, this was last week, but to be clothed with humility is a choice of mine. I choose to put on humility. And it's something that he says that every one of us must be clothed with humility. Why is this such a big deal? Well, God resists the proud. God sets himself against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So anytime I put on humility, it is literally attracting God's grace. Now let me give you a definition of pride that I saw the other day, and some of you may say ouch on this. The definition of pride here says, do you think you're always right? Or do you have to always be right? Now don't don't nudge the person sitting next to you. And saying, that describes you, honey. Think about this, guys. If you operate in that arena where you think you always have to be right, you're prideful. And if you continue to live that way, I'm going to tell you, God will humble you in any way. But that's that's a source of pride that you've opened yourself up. To help you with that a little further, the only person that's always right is Father God. 
Now, once again, none of you in here, including myself, spell my name, capital G-O-D. Now, some of you think that's how you are. Not. So understand, anytime you have the aroma of pride in your life, remember the illustration last week, God sets himself against us. It's the only place in the Bible where God does this to mankind. Because when I get over into pride, it's a form of arrogance that was birthed from Lucifer, Satan, the devil himself. And so when I wear that, it's like God saying, man, you smell like the devil. But he gives grace to the humble. Now we keep going. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. So anytime that I humble myself and say, Father God, I come to you. I cast my care upon you. It says that he's going to exalt you in due season. And then he says, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So none of us in here were designed to carry the cares of this world upon us. To think, I'm strong enough to do this. I'm a grown man. I can do this. It's a form of pride. You're not called to do that. Now we go a little bit further today. Verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, your opponent, the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we're going to discuss today the two words, sober and vigilant. But first of all, you've got to understand what he just said there. Because your adversary, my adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10.10 says the thief, the devil, comes only but to kill, steal, and destroy. So understand this. The devil's goal in life for every one of us is to steal, kill, and destroy in any way he can. Any form that he can. Now, I, I said this in the first service that I saw a statistic the other day through Barna's research that literally shocked me. That 40% of all Christians, not of, of, of human beings, 40% of all believers only believe that there's a devil that is actively out against us. Let me help you with that today. The devil wasn't birthed in Hollywood. He's just not some fictional character that runs around this earth poking people in the bottom. That's not how he is. He, he seeks to devour. He seeks to pounce. And when he says right here, seeking whom he may devour, the word may tells me that he just can't do it unless we open the door to him. We give him access. Now, when it says he's like a mighty lion, he's not a lion. But he uses the same tactics as a lion, which means he'll go after the weak spiritually. He'll go after the young spiritually. He even goes after ones that become very isolated. That's why it's important to be here at church. That God loves when we come together. There's powers in numbers. So to, to really get this, about being sober and being vigilant, we got to understand what those words mean. And I believe truly in this passage that when I understand what it is to be sober and to be vigilant, it's part of my armor of grace. So we define the word sober. The word sober means to be well-balanced, to be self-controlled. The Greek word for it means to be of a, a sound mind. Now think about that. 
Am I self-controlled? When I use the word sober, what's the first thing that would come to your mind this morning? When I use the word sober, and I don't know if it's my past life with all the problems I had with alcohol, but when I see the word sober, it, it literally means to me a person who's not intoxicated. And when I become intoxicated, and I, I can tell you from past experience that when a person is intoxicated, his reactions become slower. When a person becomes intoxicated, it changes their behavior. You get a case of the stupids. You would do things that you normally wouldn't do. Also, when you become intoxicated, if you were to ever get in a fight, that's your dream to fight someone who's intoxicated because you got them. Eh? You know, you can't do nothing. Spiritually speaking, that when I'm intoxicated spiritually, in, in references to being sober, I've let my guard down. I'm not, no, no longer self-controlled. And so you begin to see how this kind of comes in to, to pass here. I lose my edge that I have as a Christian. The second word is be vigilant. The word vigilant means to be watchful, to be alert, cautious at all times. One translation says keeping careful watch for possible danger and difficulties. So in this passage right here, the Lord tells me that if I'll learn what it is to be sober and to be vigilant, it will literally attract his grace. When I step out and say, Lord, help me to be self-controlled. Help me to be watchful. Help me to be attentive. God didn't expect me and you just to do that our own abilities. He'll say, you know what? I'll grace you where you're not dominated by certain things in your life. Now go with me to the book of Revelations chapter 17. Revelation 17. As you're going here, I'm going to give you a couple of different analogies today to kind of help you about this. The first one is if you were dropped off at a, at a point in the nation of Africa somewhere where there were a lot of wild animals, a lot of lions and tigers and bears, who cares? And they said, we're going to drop you off at point A and you got to get to point B. Now we're going to give you every weapon that you would need to help you succeed. Every weapon that you could carry with you to help you get from point A to point B. Even though I have all those weapons, if I don't remain sober and vigilant, even though I have those weapons, I'm going to get wiped out. Spiritually speaking, it's the same for every one of us in this room. I can take on the whole armor of God. I can know my authority in the name of Jesus. I can know who I am in Christ Jesus. I can live under the blood because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And so I can have this arsenal, the very arsenal of Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18. But yet, if I'm not sober and I'm not vigilant, I'm not watchful, I'm not alert, I'm not self-controlled, I'm going to get devoured. 
So you begin to see how it looks as, as Christians. So we go to, to Revelation 17. As we get going here, I'll show you how I begin to come across all this. But we start in verse 1. In your own reading, I encourage you to read verses 1 through 6. This morning, I'm going to read 1 through 2. Begin verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment. Now, the day will come when we're all going to come under a judgment for everything we've always done. But he said, I'm going to show you the judgment of the great harlot. Of the great harlot. One translation says of the great prostitute. One literally says this of the great whore. And so you look at that and it's almost like, what is he talking about here? Well, what he's talking about here, if you read this passage, especially down to about verse 5, and then let me give you another reference, 1 Peter 5, 13. It refers to a place or a name called Babylon or the Babylonians. So in this right here, he's talking about this great harlot that references Babylon. And you say, what is that? Well, if you go back and study it, that, that, that is the ancient city of Rome. And there was something that came off of that ancient city of Rome that was not good. Really, it's a shadow of things to come. And so what, what the aroma of Babylon has specifically is this. It's the idolatrous system of this world. Anything that tries to exalt itself against Father God or is hostile toward the things of the Lord Jesus. One area specifically means riches, religion, and, and immorality. So this is what it's talking about right here. That anytime I start putting religion, riches, or even immoral things above God... That I've opened myself up to this. Now, I'm just going to throw you in my thought on a lot of it, okay? And I'll tell you biblically where I come up with this. I believe what most of this is referring to is our financial system of the world. That the whole world is dominated by greed. More, more, more. Everybody's thought, if I just have money, if I just win the lottery today, it'll fix everything. If I can just accumulate this or that. And, and where I get that off of is 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money is the very source of all evil. So we keep reading this. Now watch what happens here. It says, show judgment of the harlot who sits on Many waters. It didn't say on a water. It says on many waters. And so the spirit of the Babylonians, it tries to jump on all people. If you're a human being on this earth right now, this spirit will try to come after you. It doesn't mean I have to live under it, but it's going to come after you. Verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication... What does fornication say to you? It says unfaithful. Unfaithful. And it tells right here, the kings of the earth were unfaithful. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of fornication. 
Now, it's interesting words here. They were made drunk with the wine of fornication. So literally what this is talking about is the people of the earth became intoxicated with the cares of this world, with the riches of this world, and with the pleasures of this world. See, that can come after every one of us. Now, don't show your hand right here. But how many of you are really burdened down right now with the cares of this world? I mean, just bombarded by you. You say, I just can't get away from it. How about the riches of this earth? How about the pleasure? We're dominated by pleasure. See, there's nothing wrong with that until it starts intoxicating us. And even within the body of Christ, even within Christians, we take on the the appearance or the form of Christian while being intoxicated with the things of the world. And so this passage right here, it begins to tell us that any time I become dominated with these, these addictions, they are designed to weaken my focus with God. They are designed to pull you away from God. And they're very subtle. Very subtle. The things that the devil uses in this world, they don't just reach up and pop you in the head. They just gradually begin to pull you. Begin to pull you. You know how it began to pull me? Just gradually. As a 12-year-old, I took my first drink of alcohol. And as a 12-year-old, I would have never dreamed where it ultimately led to. Five years later, just real subtly, I'm now a teenage alcoholic. And this is exactly how the devil tries to move in every area. It starts out, well, what's the matter with a little sin? long as it's just every now and then. Sin has no boundaries. Sin has a snowball effect. Now, when you start getting a little older, not like pastor. Pastor's still young. But thank you for agreeing with me. But you know this, the analogy here is they say the older you get, every year you need to start having a physical or a checkup. Just to go in and let them say, you're doing good. But even in this sense right here, I need to have a spiritual checkup. A spiritual checkup on how sober and how vigilant I am Because in this passage, they became intoxicated with the wine. If they would have been sober and vigilant, this would have never happened. And so when I look at the word sober and vigilant, the checkup I've got to have spiritually is this. Right here, listen real close. What do I thirst for in life? What do I hunger for? Better yet, what do I dream about? What do I dwell on the most time in my life? To answer that to you. Because a lot of times it will begin to locate us. And ultimately what happens is it goes from enjoyment to excessive. God's not against me playing golf. God's just against me playing golf when I become dominated by it. And in any arena of your life, when it goes from just being enjoyment to being dominated, and that can look differently for every one of us. But once again, spiritually, if I say, okay, Father God, 
I need you to grace me in this area to remain sober and vigilant so this stuff doesn't happen to me. Self-controlled. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and this will begin to explain some of this for us. But once again, I believe with all my heart, Ephesians 5 is where we're going. When I make the step to say, Father God, I want to live sober. I want to live vigilant. He doesn't expect you and me to do that on your own. He never never expected me to live self-control on my own. He says, listen, I'll grace you in that area if you'll purpose in your heart to go in that direction. So we begin Ephesians 5. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly. See then that you live careful, not as fools, but as wise. See, to live sober and vigilant, that's wise. Redeeming the time or or making the most of every opportunity, capitalizing on the time. Why? Because the days are evil. How many of us have figured out how evil the days are? I'll help you just a little bit. Once again, this analogy. If if you consider yourself getting a little older in age, how many of you can say, and I want you to raise your hand, how many of you believe the days we're living in right now are more evil than they were 30 years ago? See, every one of us that are getting a little older, we can, we can bear witness to that. And I, I, I used this illustration in the first service, and I'll use it again. I remember growing up and watching, it leave, to, watching Leave It to Beaver. Some of you youngers are saying, Leave It to Who? That was a sitcom. And when, when Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver, that was the mom and dad, when they would kiss, it would just be a little peck. And you remember, man, back then on TV, you're like, God, they kissed on TV. Now they don't just kiss on TV. It's one of those things, you know. I mean, it's. And you just see the, the progression of our society, how it, it just is a little bit of time. And remember, think about this. It's very subtle. Just each year on TV, they would add a little more and add a little more. And I remember the first time I ever heard someone cuss in a song. You know, when you're a teenager, you think, that's so cool, they cussed. It's not cool. Because what happens when one time you start cussing, it's almost like it gives you permission to keep on cussing. And if I look back at my life, what I was bombarded with as a teenager, it's not even comparison with what these teenagers are bombarded with now. God will grace you, though. So he says, redeeming the time for the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not what the will of mankind is, what the will of the Lord is. God's will is to always save. God loves people, but he doesn't love sin. And so we got to really understand that God will forgive us, but what is his will in everything we're doing? And then he says in verse 18, And do not be drunk with wine. Now here we go again, back in this word, be drunk with wine and sober. And so you can begin to cross-reference the different places it talks about being drunk and wine, and it'll just take you from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture to Scripture. 
But in this passage here, he said, do not be drunk with wine. That's what I did before I got born again. In which is dissipation. What's dissipation? It cheapens you. It cheapens me. Now look at the alternative. But be filled with the Spirit. Very interesting here that he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled or drunk with the Spirit. What is he talking about here? The Apostle Paul is warning me and you, we're either going to be fools or we're going to be wise. We're either going to come under the influence of the world or we're going to come under the influence of God. And this is the design right here that something's pulling at every one of us all the time. And, and it's, it's the spirit of Babylon trying to pull you and trying to pull you. But I found in my own life, when I make time for God, God will be a part of my life. Hebrews eleven six says that he is a rewarder and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So guess what my job is? Is when I get over and I diligently seek God, God will be a part of me. But when I choose to run with the world and I choose to take the things of God in church, like I can take it or leave it. You're getting over onto some areas you don't want to get over on. Back into the Old Testament, the book of Habakkuk. Now, I told you we were going to come back here last week. Habakkuk chapter number 2. Tucked in there between Nahum and Zephaniah. Habakkuk 2 is where we're going to read from. Now, as you're turning there, if you weren't here, let me, let me give you a little history real quick with Habakkuk. He was a prophet. The book of Habakkuk is three chapters. Chapter number 1, Habakkuk is, is just tore up by the injustice and, and the, the lack of respect toward God in his nation. And he's so upset by it that he questions God and says, God, do you not even notice? And God said, dude, I notice, okay? I got it. And in Habakkuk 2, the Lord says, listen, even though the, vi the vision or the dream may, may tarry or delay, wait on it because it's going to happen. And the very last book there, or the chapter of Habakkuk, Habakkuk's whole heart changes. He becomes a person who humbles himself under the mighty hand of God, and he sees God's grace move in his life. But to understand what was going on in Habakkuk's time, go to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, Behold the proud. The root of all the junk that was happening in, in the Habakkuk's time here was they were full of pride. Remember when I'm full of pride, God resists us. Now look what he goes on to say. His soul is not upright in him. His, his soul is not right. But the just shall live by faith. And so what happens here is you've got two ways of life. You can live life and try to find it through your own abilities and your own talents. Or you can lean on God and depend on Him and rely on Him. So what happens here is in the very next few verses here, Habakkuk lists the qualities of the Babylonians. 
They're referenced right here in this book. And remember, when we talk about the Babylonians, we're talking about a spirit of the world that comes after people. So we begin to pick up in, in chapter, five, chapter 2, verse 5. Indeed, because he transgressed by wine. Indeed, because he sinned because of wine. It could have literally been because they got drunk. Or figuratively, they became intoxicated with the things of the world. Now, the Amplified says this, they sin because of wine and wealth. You know what a, a wealthy person does? I don't need anybody. I got everything I need. And they become very arrogant. And, and look at this because the word of God right here will show it. He is a proud man. He is an arrogant man. Do you know even a drunk can have the characteristics of prideful? A drunk will say things that he would never say. A drunk will become very belligerent. And so right here, he's, he's listing the qualities of the Babylonians. Look where this goes. And he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desires or his appetites as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He can't be satisfied. So what he begins to compare here, the man who's prideful and becomes intoxicated with the things of the world. His desires become of that of hell. And his appetite becomes that of death. Now think about those two words. What's the opposite of hell? Heaven. And what's the opposite of death? Life. Life. So in this passage here, we've got to understand, I can't get sucked in by that. I can't get reeled in and you say, what is that? So, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15. It says, these are the things of the world. Verse 16 says, all that is in the world, listen close to this. Is the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and the pride of life, which are not of God, is what it specifically says. So the spirit of Babylon has to do with, there's a lust that comes after every one of us. In our eyes, this is what gets men. Men fall in love with their eyes, women fall in love with their ears. And one of the biggest distractions, one of the biggest fishing baits that the devil has to offer right now, and, and this isn't just toward men anymore, but more so toward men, is that of pornography. That he casts it out there, and you begin to see that stuff with your eyes. And you know what he does? He'll reel you in. The lust of my eyes. It's real. I realize how real it is. But if I live sober and vigilant and say, Lord, you got to help me. I don't want to live like, what about the lust of my flesh? The stuff that dominates my flesh. And then that stinking root of pride again. Go with me to Matthew 26. Ooh, I better move. Matthew 26. Now listen to me. When he lists wine there, I, I don't believe he's just talking about alcohol. Could be. I believe he's talking about anything in this world that tries to intoxicate us. 
to break my focus on God. And I will tell you this, as long as you're on this earth, you're not exempt from it. You'll never be exempt from that spirit that'll come after you. It'll try every day. Every day. Remember, the devil, he's looking to pounce. He's looking to pounce any way he can. Now, in this passage here in Matthew 26, this is the most intense time of Jesus' whole life. What happens with me and you when life gets real intense? If we'll look at what happened with Jesus and what he does, we can learn from this. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with him to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Now this is Jesus. Jesus is sorrowful and deeply distressed. I'm telling you, life is not easy for the Lord Jesus. And he says here in verse 39, And he went a little farther and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, remember Ephesians 5, 17, it says, understand what the will of the Lord is. So when life became intense and sorrowful, Jesus prayed. He started praying. And we keep reading, and watch what just keeps on going on here. And so, not as I will, but as you will. And then he says, then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Be sober and be vigilant. So Jesus right here, he tells me and you, I've got to learn to watch. I've got to learn to pray. Why is this so important? Because then he says, least you enter into temptation. If I don't learn to be sober and vigilant and learn to discipline myself to pray, Guys, I'm going to tell you, you're going to open yourself up to temptation. Well, there's just some days I just don't feel like praying. So, you only pray when you feel like it. See, I can tell you that truthfully. There's days I don't feel like praying. There's days my flesh says, I don't want to pray. It pouts. But part of being watchful and, and, and diligent and sober is I say, I'm going to make time to pray every day, even when I don't want to. And that's where the grace of God will kick in. God will say, if you'll begin to draw near to me, if you begin to, to seek me diligently, then I will grace you. See, too many times we have this thought, well, if I just feel like it, if I just had Holy Ghost goosebumps, I would go pray. Well, that doesn't happen very often. But it comes this, that I learn to discipline myself, and I learn to get in the Word, and I learn to pray, and I learn to stand. And Jesus goes on to say this, the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And your flesh is like mine. It usually tries to take the path of least resistance. It tries to take shortcuts. Purpose in your heart to get in the word. Purpose in your heart to pray. And over and over, this was Jesus' cry to his own disciples. Could you watch and pray with me an hour? See, begin to discipline and say, Lord, put that in my heart. I got one more place to go and we'll end here. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. 
He wants to help every one of us. But I play a part in this. Too many times we just think the things of God will just fall out of the sky right on us. Not going to happen that way. How many of you make appointments every day to eat? Most of us in here, we don't have to be told to eat breakfast. We don't have to be told, now, Pastor, you really need a cup of coffee today. I don't need permission to do that. I just do it. How many about noon, somewhere in that range, you just find yourself getting in the refrigerator? Then some of you about two or three in the afternoon say, you know what, I, I could use a little snack. Then about six o'clock and before long, guess what? Our lives become that of clockwork. And so when it comes to the area of eating, we're sober and we're vigilant. We're ready to go. But see, this is how it becomes spiritually that I say, you know what? And you can go back and look at the man Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. It said that he prayed morning, noon, and night. And we have this thought, well, somebody laid hands on Daniel. Man, he got it. That's not the truth. He began to get that in his heart. Now watch this in Ephesians 4, verse 25, and we'll move. Ephesians 4, verse 25. I knew it didn't sound right. I'm in Philippians. Therefore, put away lying. Yeah, that's a good thought. At least each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And don't be angry and don't sin. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, get your heart right before the sun goes down. Now get this, verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Nor give opportunity for the devil. You know what that verse tells me right there? The Greek word for place there is the word topos. The word topos literally means it emphasizes that believers can actually give ground to the, the, to, the, to the devil. Believers can actually give ground to the devil. How do I give ground to the devil? I open the door up. I give place to him. How do I give place to him? When I do things in my heart that I know is wrong and convicts my heart, but I go ahead and do them. How many have ever done that? I've done that recently. The only thing I can learn to do about that is I repent from it and I say, Father God, help me. I don't want to do that stuff. But if you're constantly given place to the devil, before long he gets what we call a stronghold and he begins to dominate you in an area. Every one of us in here have probably been dominated by something in our lives. God will set you free, but you got to quit giving place to the devil. What does that look like, Pastor? Well, guys, for me in my own life. I quit running around the bars. I knew I had to stay away from them. I'm going to tell some of you this, and this is how the Lord spoke to me years ago. I don't mean this to hurt your feelings. This is how God deals with me at times. You know why he deals with me? Because I can be very stubborn and hard-headed. Years ago, God said this to me. He said, you're addicted to stupid people. Just like that, I promise you. And you know, in my Einstein mind that I have, I thought, oh, what are you talking about, Willis? Now, what are you talking about, God? You're addicted to stupid people. Now, I don't, I don't mean that toward people just in a whole, but listen. 
when I continually run around people that I know every time I'm around them, I'm going to get in trouble? Every time I'm around Billy Bob, I know what's going to happen. We're going to get drunk. And as difficult as that was for me, you know what? I had to quit opening the door to the devil in that area. And that's some of you's problems. You run with Lucifer Jr. And he influences you. And we give in to that. And you say, but pastor, I grew up with those people. I did too. I went to school with a lot of them from that age. But I finally had to come to the conclusion, every time I'm with you, I don't have enough self-control to tell you I can't do that. And I'm on the verge of getting divorced because of you, not because of you, because of my choices. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.